The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. back everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 268 wrapping up our top 15 baseball movies going over the top five movies of my opinion and ben's opinion if i'm ben on twitter at ben j palmer ben thanks for joining me again no problem i'm happy to do it i got uh nothing else to do at in the <laughs> evenings well actually no my wife would probably disagree with that <laughs> she, she would she would probably be like you know you could spend time with me and like you know enjoy my company i'm like no but i have a podcast to do about baseball movies so yes priorities <laughs> priorities exactly that's that is my top priority <laughs> i love it well tonight's will be a fun one we're going over top five so like the, the yes. previous episodes you know i had some goofy ones you've had some good um documentary and kind of under the radar ones I think for the most part in the top five, we're going to get a lot of people's favorites, maybe in different orders, but we're going to kind of hit the um, the majority of people's thoughts here, which will be a fun, uh, fun angle here on the top five. So without wasting any time, Ben, what is your number five? My number five movie is Field of Dreams, which uh, I think should be fairly unsurprising that this would be in my top five. Uh, I, I know a lot of people, my dad included, this would be his number one, I think. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of baseball people, Field of Dreams is their, their number one movie. And I get it. Um, one of the things we mentioned in the last podcast, and actually it was, it was something Chris Towers mentioned when he was talking about The Sandlot, um, is that the best, the best sports movies are not about sports necessarily. Mm-hmm. And Field of Dreams is one of those movies. Field of Dreams is a baseball movie, obviously. It centers around baseball. But it's a movie about a man's relationship with his father. And it's it's 
really beautiful that way. Uh, it's the thing, the thing that field of dreams does exceptionally well is sincerity. It's very, very sincere and, and authentic. Is the story a little weird? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, should you probably dodge thinking about the mechanics of exactly how this magic field works and, <laughs> you know, how the 1918 Black Sox are playing on the field? Yeah, probably don't think about that. So there is a good bit of suspension of disbelief, but it is really well written, very, very emotional. Uh, it's It's about... It's a movie about growing up. It's about recognizing that your parents, it's so funny. Like kids, when you're, when you're a kid, you, you hold your parents uh, up on a pedestal. Like they're like these, I don't want to generalize. Not everybody, obviously not everybody came from great homes, but a lot of times as kids, you kind of idolize your parents. They're like these, these demigods who can do no wrong and who are just like, they always know what to do, you know? I don't know what to do. I got to call my dad or call my mom or, you know, I don't know. Even, even as an adult, if I don't know what to do, I call my mom. Like (laughs) if I don't know what to do on something, even if she will not have an answer, like it'll be something she knows literally nothing. But what field of dreams does so well is it, it's about recognizing your parents are also just people. Like they're just human beings. It's, I think that's something you learn when you become a parent too, because parenting is just parenting is just a lot of moments where you go, oh, so this is what screws you up for life. Like it's just all these moments where you're just like, oh, wow. Like I, I'm just making this up as I'm going along. And I guess my parents were too. And that's kind of what this movie is about. It's, it's, it's about recognizing that your parents are, are just people who are trying their best who have their flaws, who may not really know what they're doing when it comes to raising children, but, but they're trying and, and you, you know, you give them credit for that. Uh, I think the character of Ray Kinsella learns this in the movie and specifically through baseball. One of the things I love about the movie, and I think pretty much everybody loves about the movie because it's the thing that's cited most often when you talk about field of dreams I grew up in a family that where baseball is like the thing it's, you know, my parents take opening day off of work every year and they call it the high holy day. Like it's baseball is a big deal. And when I think about baseball, I think about the deep connection that it, it has with my family, especially with my parents. And when Ray plays catch with his dad at the end of the movie, I the only thing I can think about is playing catch with my dad when I was a kid or playing catch with my brother when I was a kid or, or both of them. Uh, and just, you know, just hanging outside and just playing catch and bonding and talking. It was so much fun. And I do it with uh, my son. I have a nine year old son and um, we play catch a little bit in the summer and spring when we're practicing for his little league. So it's just, it's beautiful. It's a beautifully, it's a beautiful scene. It's a beautifully written movie there's this one line i mentioned in the article that really stuck with me and the line is uh they uh, i believe i forget which character saying i want to say it's james Earl jones's character but uh correct me if i'm wrong if you haven't remember but the line is he's talking to ray and he says the one constant through all the years ray has been baseball 
America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and could be again. And like, it is hard not to hear that and be like, God, I love baseball so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's like, funny. Oh it's my funny. God, baseball. <laughs> like, it's just yeah. the best. But yeah, it's, my love, it's a very heartwarming movie. It's It's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's my number four. I, I absolutely love Field of Dreams, so I'll talk about it here. And it's funny you mentioned that because I pulled up the quote to make sure I got it right. It's James Earl Jones, and it's it's one of those quotes that, ah, good. like when you said, like when you hear it, it, it reminds you of like this is baseball. Baseball's amazing. Like it gives you chills if you're a baseball fan because he's talking about it's you know if you build it and you do this and people will come and play. They'll come from all over. The reserve seats is twenty dollars. All these things. When he goes into because baseball, baseball is the one constant, all those type of things that, that makes baseball so great. Like things and times can change basically, but baseball is always there. Like it, it, it'll be always. a great thing. And it, it's it's a good kind of motto to have in these times we have right now. As bad as things are, baseball will always be there at one point in time. Well, so, you know, you think about it, you good. think about what baseball, what America has been through with mm-hmm. baseball. I mean, baseball has taken us through two world wars it's mm-hmm. taken. A, it took us through September 11th. I mean, who could forget yep. the first Yankees game after 9/11? Like, just baseball. Even even as baseball has kind of dwindled in popularity, it's been this sports in general, but baseball really, at least for baseball fans, has really been this national unifier in our country. And I, like I said, sports in general do that. There are NFL moments. There are NBA moments. NHL moments. Uh, where you feel a sense of community. It's a whole joy of sports. But yeah, that's it's the beauty of baseball. I do have a question though for you related yes. to Field of Dreams because this is a debate. I, 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 wonder, if it's, I wonder if it's the, the question I was going to ask you. So I can't think. <laughs> I think I know where you're uh, okay. going with this. Go. What is it? Is it play catch or half a catch? <laughs> that was my question for you. Um, I play catch. What do you do? You play catch. Good. I play catch too. Yeah, that was the question. You play catch. You. you don't. Yeah. I, you don't. You don't. I just. I've gotten in you this argument a, with people. You, have a you don't have a catch. You have right, right. They they <laughs> argue you have a party, but I'm like, no. Play, you play. They're like, how? What is catch a game? Yes, catch is a game. Yes, baseball is a game. You play baseball is a game, but even just just playing catch yes. without like outside of baseball, playing catch is a game. What's the yeah. objective of the game? Catch the ball. Yeah. Don't yeah. drop the ball. That's the objective. Are you keeping score? Probably not. But who cares? You yep. you catch the ball. That's the game. You play it. If if they want a comparison for baseball, say, do you play pickle or do you have a pickle? Exactly, exactly. You might have a pickle while but it's not involving pickle. baseball. <laughs> <laughs> you might have a pickle and play pickle at the same time, which yes. would be difficult. But yeah, exactly. It is play catch. I will yes. die on that hill. You We're do not have a there. catch. Thank you. I'm so glad because I've that has been a heated argument. On multiple occasions among the pitchless staff. Well, see, you like, you can tell you can tell we both love this movie. Like I said, it's your five, it's my four. Like you said, yeah, you wouldn't be shocked if people had a number one. Like I won't argue. Oh with no, anybody. not at all. I won't argue it either. Like I get it because what makes this this movie great, like you described, is it is a story about a father and a son. Yes, that that's the the big premise of it. But the the big story is it circles around baseball. It's not even about the game being played. Sure, they play games on this diamond he creates, but the idea of building the diamond, going to games, um, doing this whole like search around the game of baseball brings him back to his father. So 
it's um, it kind of shows the power of baseball, not per se the game of baseball. Like when we talked about Major League, it was all about, you know, the characters and playing the game of baseball and winning a pennant, where this is like more of what baseball can do. Okay, this might sound cheesy, but it's like what baseball can do for the soul, can do for a person. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a, it's, a, it's a different way to watch it. Like when we talk about, like as a Major League, we can talk about, um, we'll talk about Bull Durham later, uh, Moneyball. They all have their different ways of portraying baseball. This one is more about why you love the game of baseball, what the game of baseball means to you and how it, it affects you more than just, you know, watching a game, you know, maybe putting a, you know, fantasy on the game and walking away and not caring afterwards. There's something more to this. Like you said, you grew up playing with your family. I grew up, my dad coached my little league team. We always played all, we've told so many stories yep. on these podcasts. That's why I enjoy doing this. It's more than just movies. There's, there's stories behind the story, basically. And it's um it's what's beautiful about Field of Dreams. It's one of those I can watch many any baseball fan can probably watch it any time. That just kind of makes oh, you yeah. sit back in. You, yeah, and it's it, if it's on, you're watching it. And James Earl Jones might have been the best character. Like he's got the Darth Vader oh voice gosh. that just catches your yes. attention, but he's just this kind of old wisdom guy that you just trust. Like literally, he finds him on the road, or he goes to his office and finds him. And he's like, hey, yeah, hop in my van. We're gonna go like tour. Go to Fenway and yeah. go figure things out. <laughs> yeah. just, just hop in. We don't know each other. Just hop in. But uh, that's the bond of baseball that created that. So it's a uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I, you know what's I funny hope- is I was I was just thinking tonight like how important James Earl Jones has been in my life. Uh, there's a reason I was it was I wasn't just like sitting around going you know James Earl Jones. But I was I uh, the kids and I we watched uh, the live action Lion King remake. Okay. which James Earl yeah. Jones came back for. And I was sitting there going, man, for like me specifically, and for a lot of people my age, like James Earl Jones was a huge deal. Like he was Mufasa. Yeah. He was Darth Vader. And yep. for baseball fans, he was in Field of Dreams. Like, mm-hmm. man, <laughs> talk about a guy who has been in some roles that like hit to your core emotionally as a human being. Yep. Like, <laughs> And also, yeah, also one 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 fun thing. One thing I do love about um, Field of Dreams is you get one of the one of the last roles, if not the last role, that Burt Lancaster ever did. True. Well, okay, it wasn't his. I just looked it up. It was not his last role, but it was it was up. I mean, he was an old guy. Yeah, it had to be one of his last ones, though. Yeah, but like Burt Lancaster, I love Burt Lancaster. He kind of tangent. Have you ever seen? Uh, what was it? Atlantic City. You ever seen Atlantic City? I don't think so. Came out in 1980. Atlantic City is... Yeah, but no. No, I did not. Oh, okay. Yeah. Atlantic City is very good. It's a... Uh, it's him and Susan Sarandon. Um, he's kind of like an older guy who lives in Atlantic City, and he kind of gets um, in a thing with the mafia. But my favorite... Atlantic City is very good. My favorite Burt Lancaster movie, and I strongly recommend everybody, every everybody see this, is The Swimmer. You ever heard of The Swimmer? I've heard of it. I've not seen it, but I've heard of it. It is. I watched it on a whim. It was on Amazon Prime. I think it probably still is. It is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. came out in 1968, and I, I can't give away too much because it will give away the plot, but the premise is Burt Lancaster plays this man who decides on a beautiful summer day he's going to swim, quote-unquote, from one part of town to the other. And the way he's going to do that is 
he's going to go from house to house to house and swim in their pools. He's going to swim in someone's pool, go to the next house, swim in their pool, go to the next house, swim in their pool. And as he goes to each house, the story kind of develops. He, you kind of find out more about his, his character and kind of what's going on. And it gets progressively darker and darker. And it, it starts off as like this kind of, it feels like a feel good, like, Oh, look at Burt Lancaster. He's, you know, Burt Lancaster in 1968, he's looking very handsome and very, you know, toned and he's like i'm just this happy bird lancaster and you're like oh cool and it feels like this kind of happy feel-good movie and then it gets really dark and it is it's brilliant it is so good i strongly recommend everybody see it i was blown away by it like i was expecting oh this will be a nice little movie and it was fantastic but anyways bird lancaster is a great actor i love him and he was great underrated moonlight oh yeah oh yeah i mean he He's only he's only in it for a little bit, but he's great. Yeah, he sacrifices his dream. It's uh, it's pretty. Uh, it, it's a great movie. Uh, it's a really well done movie. Yeah, yeah. It, it's phenomenal. Really well done. A t- typical Kevin Cosner crushes a baseball movie. This is what he does, okay. and it's, okay. it's, yeah. it's well so well done. Uh, <laughs> my number five, I will talk about later because it's a little higher up on your list, so we don't have to hit it twice. So let's go to your number four. Because this okay. is one I know you've told me about. I still have not seen yet. Yes. I'm really curious to hear you talk about it. Yeah, so my number four is the movie Fastball. And this was a movie that I saw on some lists of best baseball movies when I was making my watch list. And I will say that this movie, it's a documentary. And that this movie, the reason I love it is very specific to me and my interests. Uh, this movie really dives into the fastball it's the most famous pitch in all of baseball probably everybody every there's been barroom debates since the dawn of baseball over who throws the hardest who's got the hardest fastball you hear old stories about different pitchers who threw really hard you know you hear all kinds of nolan ryan stories things like that so this movie takes a look at pitchers who threw the fastball from, you know, the early, early days of baseball to the more recent days. And it looks at it from a scientific perspective. It, it's hard to answer who threw the hardest fastball, but I think as best as a movie could, this one does. It explains how the fastball works. It explains why hitters say a fastball rises when it doesn't. And there's an interesting part of that where you get all these physicists who say, no, the fastball doesn't rise. It's just an illusion. And then they interview all these ball players who say, no, the fastball is definitely rising. I don't know what these guys are talking about, but they clearly have not stepped foot in the batter's box because I see it and it goes up. So it, it which is really cool. And they also talk about how measuring the speed of a fastball, how radar has changed over the years, which is kind of really eye-opening because it, it gives you, once they explain to you how measuring the speed of fastballs was so different, uh, you know, decades ago than it is today, it really kind of gives you a new look at the way, at how fast probably Nolan Ryan and Bob Gibson really threw the ball. Um Ryan is famous for having thrown a 100 mile an hour fastball at one point, but they talk about in the documentary that had 
Ryan's fastball, the same 100 mile an hour fastball, been measured with today's technology, with today's methods, it actually probably would have read around 108 miles an hour. Oh, wow. Which is right, which is Crazy. nuts, which Crazy. kind of explains, right, kind of explains why everyone's like, oh, yeah, Nolan Ryan threw so crazy hard. He did, you know, if you look at his radar stats, he threw you know, around 95 or whatever, which at the time was pretty hard. And for us, it's like, yeah, a guy who throws 95, that's that's a hard fastball, but it's not like, you know, we're looking at Jordan Hicks throwing 100, 103 every pitch. So, like, yeah, 95, whatever. But if if Nolan Ryan could max out at 108 today, like that's insane. That that makes a lot more sense. So it's just it's a lot of fun to hear uh, these ball players talk. There's a great oh, there's a great part of the movie that I wish had been like stretched out forever. But they have all these former ball players. Uh, talking like hall of famers and stuff sitting down, just kind of talking about like fastballs that they, that they saw that they faced and stuff. And it's like, it's just so much fun to hear these guys just talk about baseball and talk about like, Oh, this is the hardest guy I ever faced. And like, Oh man. Yeah. I remember when I had to face it. Like it's awesome. So it is a very niche documentary. If you are not into like the deeper, analytics of baseball and like the science behind pitching and stuff like that, you're probably going to be kind of bored by it. So it is not something that like, I think it's like the height of documentary filmmaking. It's not, it's just a movie that I found so fascinating and so interesting. And just for, from minute one to the very end, I was fixated on it because it was just so in my wheelhouse of what I love. So if that is kind of what you love, you will love fastball. It is a blast. Uh, but if that's not really your thing, then uh, you probably won't like it too much. Also, I will say, I talked to I talked to Nick about it, and he was like, "Yeah, I I'm not sure I quite believe them <laughs> about the, the way they measure fastballs and stuff, and you know whether Bob they 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 determined that probably either Nolan Ryan or Bob Gibson was the hardest thrower uh, ever." based on they they look at the way it was measured then compared to how it was measured now and make some estimates on what it probably actually was from today's standards so but it is absolutely worth a watch and it was a fascinating documentary to me well i i, I it's people that have seen nolan ryan pitch back in the day and, and some footage of bob gibson i wouldn't be surprised if they were the hardest ones to ever throw like it was uh it was pretty crazy yeah, what they yeah. were able to do back in the day so yeah, I'll check it out. It's it's interesting. Another Kevin Costner narration. So he's got yeah, Kevin Costner narration. Kevin Costner's got his foot in every baseball movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's another one there. Like he had a bunch of uh, former players show up on IMDb. So yep, looking yep. looking forward to checking that out. That'll be a fun one to. Uh, it's to a see lot of happens. fun. Yeah. Uh, my number four was Field of Dreams. We obviously already talked about that in depth. So great, we're going to go. We're going to go to number three here where we share the number three pick. This is fun. Oh, really? Yes. This is a lot of fun. A league of their own. So go, why don't you give us the uh, league of their own synopsis? We can talk a little bit here. Oh, wow. That's so funny that we both have a league of their own at three. So I love a league of their own for a lot of reasons that have to do with the movie. But one reason I specifically love a league of their own is unique to my own personal experience. And that is because the first time I saw A League of Their Own, I was in a hotel room with my parents and my brother in Cooperstown. 
Nice. We were at the Baseball Hall of Fame. The first time I ever went to the Baseball Hall of Fame, I was probably 11, 12, maybe 12 or 13. And uh, we went, we took a trip up to Cooperstown. We stayed at a little hotel in Cooperstown and we turned on the TV late at night. One, the first night we got there and Field of Dreams came on first, which is cool. And then a league of their own came on. It was just, I, I don't remember what channel it was. It's just baseball movies. And the first time I ever saw a league of their own was with my parents at in Cooperstown. So that was, that was really special for me because it was just, you know, we're there for baseball. The whole family loves baseball. My dad turns on, uh, you know, a league of their own comes on. My dad's like, Oh, this is a great baseball movie. We should all watch it together. So that was special, but that's not the only reason I love a league of their own. It's just, it, if there, if this, if this movie does anything, and this is, I think, a common theme in a lot of the top movies we're going to talk about, this movie loves baseball. Like it just, maybe it over romanticizes the 1940s a little bit, sure, but it romanticizes baseball in a way that I absolutely love. You know, when you watch the movie, you will not come away saying this is an exceptionally innovative or exceptionally well-made movie at its heart really a league of their own is just kind of a nice popcorn movie Mm -hmm. but it's still so much fun it is so well written it is so well performed it is character driven something we talked about last podcast where you know each and every character you care about each and every character the movie takes the time to make you care about the characters the characters are not just these soulless vehicles that exist to further the plot. It is a character driven movie that, that also goes beyond baseball. It's not, this isn't what's unique about this movie is it's not about uh, some team trying to make it to the world series or trying to win some big game or something like that. It's just, it's just about people who play baseball. It's about a group of women who have been told by the 1940s American society they live in that they are not worth much more outside of their bodies and child rearing abilities. And it is about them finding and proving that they are individuals and that they have individual identities in a time that did not think that they had individual identities, honestly. And then it's also really funny. Like it's just a really funny movie. Tom Hanks is amazing in it as amazing. Absolutely. I mean, amazing. Obviously. Yeah. He's amazing in it as he is in every role I've ever seen him in, except for maybe bachelor party, but that was his first movie. So I'll give him yeah, he, he gets, he gets a pass best. on that one. <laughs> he gets a pass on that, but honestly it's probably the best part of the movie. Cause it, it wasn't great. Um, <laughs> but Rosie O'Donnell is fantastic. Madonna is fantastic. Gina Davis and Lori Petty have this fantastic chemistry. I'm using the mm-hmm. word fantastic a lot, but they have this great chemistry together as sisters. And then I don't know why, and maybe this is just me, but the ending, I, I got really emotional at the ending. I don't know why, but just, just seeing the final game or when they meet at Cooper's. No, no, no. When they meet years later. Okay. When they all meet together years later, it just was like a really emotional moment for me. It just seeing seeing baseball mean so much to all of these people and seeing how it brought these friends together and how it brought families together, all of that mixed with this kind of reminder of, you know, hey, we're all mortals 
at, at, at the end, you know, we're all going to die one day because they're all pretty old and some members of the team have died. It just, I don't know, watching it, I, I, watching it again, it kind of reminded me about how special baseball is for me and my family. And when you kind of mix that, that, I don't know, sentimentality with a, you know, just a quick little reminder, like, Hey, you're going to die. You know, (laughs) one day, one day you're going to die. You mix that all together and you just kind of, you kind of have this, this emotional, I had this emotional feeling. And I think that's good. I think honestly, I think it is really, really good to have that reminder of mortality. I think it's really good that the movie kind of does that and, and kind of does this like quickly, like, Hey, just don't forget, you know, what's, what's happening now. That's what's important. Not what's that, you know, don't, don't plan dinner while you're eating lunch. Like think about what's going on now. And, and the movie kind of does that mixed with just this, this, you know, showing of people who just love baseball and it means so much to them. And so a, a lot of my opinion on the movie is heavily influenced by my personal experiences with it, but that's, the beauty of movies. I mean, yeah. that's the beauty of art is you develop a personal connection with a movie for your own specific reasons. And that's awesome. That's why these things are so great. So that's why I love a league of their own. Why do you love a league of their own? I love it because it, it's a obviously a baseball movie. Um, I agree that it's not like the most crisp baseball movie you'll find, but they still find ways to make it very good. Um, I love the Tom Hanks character as Jimmy Dugan. Because he starts out as a guy that just doesn't want to be there, and then he just slowly develops the bond with the players, like the scene yeah, where he has to yeah. where he has to tell Betty Spaghetti that his her husband dies, and all those things. It's like he sees a real person. Uh, he's yeah, that, and that's that's one of the things that the movie does so well is it doesn't it doesn't just catapult his character into caring. It yeah. takes its time. It Shows makes the, the development feel real. It's mm-hmm. slow and deliberate, and that is that is why I think it's so good. And it's like Gina Davis has to basically kick him in the balls to get going. It shows him how to manage, and they sit there, they're yep. giving yep. signs. That's one of the best scenes when like he gives a sign, and then she gets up and gives a different sign, and uh, Marla Hooch is in the batter's <laughs> box, not knowing what the heck to do because it's yep. yep. sign. And it, uh, it it's just it's fun stuff like that, and the bonds, you know, when they're they're traveling on the bus, and then you have the the, the I call her the house mom. They basically drug her so they can go out and have a good time that night because they're on the road. All those different little things. Like, it's things you can visualize, like, male, like, MLB teams doing. But now it's the women. They're getting their chance. Like you said, they're equals. They're yep, getting their yep. chance that, that weren't shown there. And, it, and I think another important part is it was a, a time when, well, A, it's based on a true story. And B, it yep. was when um, America needed them because the men were off at war. So people, it, another, it showed once again how important baseball is. To people, it didn't exactly. matter if it was a male or exactly. a female playing baseball. They played great baseball, and they got butts in the seats. Like Wrigley was about to pull out, they they, they filled up the stadiums. It kept going for I think three or four more years or whatever. Like it still, it gave people that relief that they needed from you know the, the bad yeah. stuff going on everywhere. And I think you know, it's funny. I love it. Yeah, it's funny. We're kind of seeing, I think, right now how important sports are to yes, society. Sometime. Because what what do people, not everybody, but what do a lot of people, what could a lot of people use right now more than anything is a distraction. Yeah, a ball game. Yeah, that's why. That's why I'll I'll take a game with no no people, no people in the stands. Just give me a ball game. Yeah, I do not care. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I I yeah yeah. I mean, just just 
something. You know, the baseball, I, I've been honestly, I've always liked um, the NBA, but I've never paid as close attention to it as I should. And like now that the season has been suspended, I'm sitting there going, like, I will never take the NBA for granted again. I'm going to watch every single game. <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh God, I didn't realize how much I missed this. It just, it's like just always having it there. And of course, like, obviously I'm dying without baseball, but that, that goes without saying, but like, just, yeah, I think we're kind of seeing, I think that's why we're seeing so many people flock to old games that are being broadcast because they just, they just need something. They need a release. And that's why people are binging Netflix shows and they're watching old games and just, they, they need some kind of release. And yeah, that's that's why sports are so important to people. Yeah, my my, my wife doesn't get it because I told her when I when sports first got suspended, she's like, "Oh no, what are you gonna do?" I'm like, "No, you don't get it. Like, this is a big deal." And, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So then, like, I'll be watching old games on MLB Network. She's like, "What are you watching that for? Don't you know the outcome?" I'm like, "This is amazing. What are you talking about?" <laughs> like, I'm just like glued yeah, to yeah. this stuff. Um, like, yeah, my 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 wife is similar about. Uh, especially baseball, she's just like, God, there's so many games. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I know. It's great, isn't it? Exactly. It's just, is, your, is your wife one of those just – she just isn't really into sports? If it's live, all about it. On TV, oh, very okay. Tough. Yeah, on TV is very tricky. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, at least she – I have one of those – I have a friend who is – and these people I are just – I can't stand them. The people who are aggressively apathetic about sports, like the people who are like, hey, I don't care about sports, like the day of the Super Bowl, they're like, I hear there's some football game on. Like, (laughs) why are you doing this? Why do you have to be that person? Right. You don't care about sports. That's fine. Like, not everyone's going to like sports. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I don't expect everybody to like sports. But you also don't have to you know, be so aggressively apathetic. It's just like, Hey, yeah. Hey, Hey, everybody, I don't care. Like, yes. just, okay. It's like, great. it's like, right. You know, it's like right now I talk about it. Cause I'm trying to stay as positive as possible. Like I, I'm realistic. Like, things don't look good. I'm not, I'm not crazy, Yeah, I know. but I, I'm still trying to hold out hope that we get some kind of baseball at some point in time. It's the people that come <laughs> immediately and like shoot it down. And I'm like, can you take that somewhere else? Like no one cares about that right now. Can you just go, <laughs> go I away. Know, I know. But, yeah, um, you're you are what's what's the line from Futurama? You are technically correct, which yeah. is the best kind of correct. <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. great. You're probably right. I just come on. Yeah. yeah, let me have my hope. Just let me have my hope. Just um, give me something. <laughs> yeah, it's uh the the last bit I'll mention from this, which is a, an interesting thing they did. I I want to say they did it on purpose because. It's like we said, we're, they're showing this women's power. Like they, they're equal to men. They're taking over the men's role in baseball. They're doing all these things. But we still have Steelwell Baby because we're showing that there's still women and mothers. Yes. And it's, yes. It's, a, <laughs> it's like you still have Steelwell who wants a nana nana and then gets hit in the head with a glove and just everything that just makes it perfect. And then, of course, that, that scene at the end that you mentioned, Stillwell's there because his mom's not. And they all like it was it was cool so it's a great yeah, movie yeah yeah that was a really sweet that was a really sweet twist in the end because you just get so annoyed with this child throughout the entire film yes and then and what, to see him at the end it's like oh okay that's sweet and, and what's really awesome about this movie is I, I talked about how my wife won't like watch games on TV she'll watch this movie almost any time it's on she loves a league of their own that's awesome that's so awesome. it's kind of one of ours we can we can bond on so I, I do enjoy that quite a bit. 
But let's head to number two. My number two is Major League. We talked a ton about that yeah, last week. Yeah. So if anybody Great needs movie. to listen to that, I am a gigantic Major League fan. We talked about it last week. I, so I, I got it out of the system last week so we didn't have to do it twice. Um, but I can talk Major <laughs> League for hours. I can recite Major League. It's one of my all-time favorites. It's my number two. Do you two. have a favorite scene? Do you have a favorite scene? Oh, the pick just one. I think – I don't know. There, it kind of depends on the mood you're in. Like, yeah. like when Serrano goes in the spring training to his clubhouse and takes the, the head cover off the golf club and says, hat for bat, got to keep bat warm. That one's <laughs> funny. Um, I think it's, it, it's funny when um, – oh, why am I skipping his name? The pitcher, the old pitcher goes and takes the shot off of uh, – uh, Oh, uh, yeah. Joe Boo's little stand, and he walks out and goes, bartender, Joe Boo needs a round, and then he gets hit in the back of the head with a baseball. I thought that was hilarious. Um, there, there's so do you have, do you have a line Do you have a line that you reference in everyday life frequently? Um, the, our number one movie, I have quite a few. But um, for Major League, I'd have to think. Uh, there, I mean, outside of, the, outside of the just a bit outside. That one's good. I don't know if I, don't know if I have like any one for certain. Uh, off the top of my head, which really sounds bad, but um, oh, there's one. I, there's one I love, and it's a, it's probably not one of the best scenes, but it's after Ricky Vaughn sleeps with Roger's wife, and then Jake Taylor walks in. He sits there and goes, "I didn't know, I didn't know." <laughs> and so that's yeah, my thing. That's like, a good people scene. ask me questions. It's like I didn't know. <laughs> and like I think I no, think that's a, that yeah. scene every time. Like it's probably not the the best scene in the movie, that's for sure, but. That little line, I think I've said a million times. It's it's a great movie. I love that movie. All right, your number two is my number five. So I got so I put it off. And Interesting. Talk about it now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like I like Moneyball. I like it. I like it as a baseball movie. I like it because I remember the heyday of the A's. I bet since it's your number two, you're gonna have quite the uh, the in depth twist on this. So what what do you like about Moneyball? You know, it's funny. So when I first saw Moneyball, I thought of it like, oh, this is a this is a cool movie. Like, it was fine. It was probably, you know, probably would have been in my top 10, but not like. It took me know, a incredible. few viewings to really like it as well. Yeah. So when I rewatched it for this list, I was like, oh, my God, I love this movie. And part of it is because I love Aaron Sorkin. I think Aaron Sorkin is an incredible screenwriter. And I'm one of those people like just. There are people who just love Aaron Sorkin. I am one of those people who loves Aaron Sorkin. I don't think he's flawless. Trust me. Like he, you know, the newsroom had its ups and downs. And oh uh, man, what that show could have been something amazing. If we just want to, like, yeah, I don't want to go down. That, I don't want to yeah. go down that rabbit hole. But that show had such <laughs> potential, and it sucked me. In it every was week, just, it, just oh. it was, it was Sorkin overworking himself. I mean, that's exactly. honestly what it was. Agreed. He, he tried Sorry. to, he tried to make it the West Wing, and yeah. But anyways, going to do it. Moneyball. I love it for a, a, a group of reasons. One, obviously, like I said, Aaron Sorkin, it just fantastic writing from start to finish. Um, it is super heavy on baseball analytics, which is like my favorite thing. Like the whole, the whole thing of Moneyball is sabermetrics and baseball analytics. And that is like my favorite thing in the world. And this is an entire movie about that. Like, how could I not love that? And also – it's about 2000s era baseball, which is the decade I really started getting into baseball and started loving baseball. So you mix all three of those things together and it's like, oh, how can I not love this movie? Add in the fact that both Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill are fantastic in their roles. I mean, just 
Brad Pitt as Billy Bean, like, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Like, if you ask just a random person, like, hey, who do you hope plays you in a movie about your life? They probably <laughs> a lot of people go, say Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. And <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, Billy Bean getting that call and being like, hey, we're going to have Brad Pitt play you. And Billy Bean being like, oh, all right. <laughs> April Fool's. Billy Bean, <laughs> Billy Bean does not look like Brad Pitt, in case no, you didn't all. know. Not at all. But the the it's it's a cool it's a cool story. So it's not only is the use of the use of sabermetrics and the implementation of it in, into Major League Baseball pretty cool, but the A's 2002 season is crazy. Like that was a crazy season, and it's it's incredible. And the way that sabermetrics was introduced into baseball, despite the fact that it was almost a curse word and Bill James also was kind of a curse word at the time in baseball is a, is a really cool story. And you got, you've got two incredible screenwriters doing it because it's not, it's not just Aaron Sorkin. It's Steve Zion uh, as well. I actually, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Um, it's Z A I L L A N. So I'm, I'm thinking it's Zayn Zion. I don't know. But this is the guy who wrote Schindler's List, who wrote Searching for Bobby Fischer, who wrote The Irishman uh, this past year. Like, he is a fantastic screenwriter. He wrote Gangs of New York. It's pretty, uh, and pretty the first, quite the list. He wrote, yeah, I mean, like, some of these movies he wrote outside of the ones I mentioned. He also wrote Clear and Present Danger, which is a really solid movie. He wrote the first Mission Impossible movie. He wrote Hannibal, which was a solid movie. He wrote American Gangster. He wrote The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. He wrote the TV miniseries The Night Of, which is really good. Like The guy's a fantastic writer. Fantastic writer. And him paired with Aaron Sorkin, like, man, that's a dream team. Like, mm-hmm. So it's, it was almost hard for this movie to be bad. <laughs> like, yeah. it just and, – and that's why – this is another – similar to Fastball. This is another movie – that I love specifically because of my interests. Like my favorite things in the world are baseball, are uh, analytics, and especially I love talking about 2000s era baseball. So like, you know, if you're going to have all three of those in one movie, it's hard for me not to love it. And the other thing I do love, and like I said, this is a common theme in these movies, is I feel like Aaron Sorkin and Steve Zion are romantic about baseball. They even say, like Brad, um, Brad Pitt's character of Billy Bean says in the movie, it's hard not to get romantic about baseball. And I feel like that, I, that's, that feeling is communicated in the film. And, and I love that. It, it's authentic. It feels authentic. It's a great story. It's well-written. The performances all around are great. It's, I love it. It's, it's such a fun, it's a fun movie, and it's, it's a blast. Yeah, it's it's one of uh, one of the books I've read. Read, which uh, for me, I'm not the biggest book guy, so it's one that I really enjoyed. There, uh, Brad Pitt was great. Jonah Hill was awesome. This was kind of his jumping onto the scene moment to be taken seriously, yeah. not just from super yeah. bad. So uh, that that was big. And then like just the cast, like you said, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Art Howe. Like, who, who would have ever I... guessed that? Who would have ever guessed that? <sighs> Philip Seymour. So I get. Uh, yeah. I love he's one that Philip went way Seymour too Hoffman early. So way much. too early. So much. I love him. Have you seen like just every Paul Thomas Anderson movie that Philip Seymour Hoffman is in is just 
so, so good. I just, even his relatively small role in Punch Drunk Love is fantastic. But he's, I mean, the master, he's great in Capote, he's incredible mm-hmm. in Magnolia, he's amazing. Just, he's a great God, actor. I love, Absolutely I love amazing him actor. So much. I love him. Yeah. He was amazing. And then, like, just, you know, for those that love Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy, Chris Pratt with Scott Hatterberg. Just let that one sink in for a second. Uh, because if you watch the movie or read the book, you know how, you know, Bean comes in and he's trying to give this whole philosophy that Jonah Hill's teaching to him. And, you know, Art Howe and the guys think he's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Like, this isn't going to work. And they start buying in and he goes and trades for Scott Hatterberg. And be like, what are you doing? Like, what? Why are you doing this? Oh, he gets on base. And like, it's just little things like this. You, you set up the whole system, what we, we see these days, obviously. But it was um, well done. The baseball is actually pretty decent played in there as well. But it was just a storyline, the front office theme, kind of like what you're talking about. It's more of a, a baseball lover's thing, not more of a baseball – I don't know if fan's the right word, but just like a, a baseball – you have to have a big passion for baseball to like this movie. So I can see where it's not as high on some lists, or I've seen it as number one on some lists. Um, it's, a, it's a really well-done movie. It's one that if you watch it a couple times, like we said, you'll get a, a much bigger uh, enjoyment out of it, I think. I think the first time you're just kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. But uh, for the, those of us that remember the O2 season and all that kind of stuff, it was great. It, it was very, very well done. You got Mulder and Hudson and Zito. You get their little three three pack in there. It's just it's it's a really cool, cool movie and well done. And shows kind of the transition the transition of baseball. So I thought it was a outstanding and and well done. All right, that takes us to number one. We shared number three. We had some similarities in the top five, but we also shared number one. It's one of the greatest baseball movies, obviously, in my opinion. If not yours as well, um, it, it's an absolute classic. It uh, I could watch it time and time again. We both have Bull Durham at number one. Ben, talk to us about Bull Durham. I love Bull Durham so much. So it's funny when I first watched Bull Durham, I came away from it going, "Yeah, this is my favorite baseball movie." Like mm-hmm. I love this movie. And then when later, when I eventually decided to create my own top 100 list of my 100 favorite baseball movies of all time. I put, or sorry, not top 100, sorry, top 100 movies of all time. I ended up putting Bull Durham on there and I was just like, I just love this movie. And so I was interested to see if on a rewatch that I would, if I would still love the movie as much as I did. And turns out, yeah, I love it. (laughs) It's fantastic. And what I love about it is, again, this is a this is a baseball movie that's not just about baseball. This is about characters. This is about people. I was just talking about this with Nick a few days ago because he just saw Bull Durham for the first time what? recently. Yeah, I know. I know. Oh my! I, know. Like, I, I, I don't want to be judgy. We talked about how you know movies and what interests everyone's different. But man, you would think that someone as big into baseball as Nick is would have seen Bull Durham by now you would think but he had so i know i know and he had just seen it for the first time and we were talking about it and he kind of came away from going like yeah it was all right and i was like what like it was okay like what and yeah and i was talking with him about it and and i was saying the thing that i love about it is it is so well written. And he was like, yeah, it was kind of just like, I don't know, a romance with a little bit of baseball. And I'm like, yeah, I've, exactly. I've heard that from so many people. I was like, come on. Well, that that's okay. Like, yeah, it's a romance with a little bit of baseball. That's fine. That's what I'm saying. These baseball, this baseball movie is not 
only about baseball. If it was, it wouldn't be as interesting. Like, it is a character-driven movie that is mostly, more than anything, it is about self-awareness. It is about, he, 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 one of the things he mentioned, and I feel like I'm trashing Nick, and, I, and I'm not. I'm not a trying to. But one of the things he mentioned, and this is something that I have heard other people say, this is something my dad has said to me specifically, is that he didn't really like Susan Sarandon's character. It was like, eh, it's just all about, you know, sleeping with Susan Sarandon. Like, that's so much what this movie's about. I'm like, no, it's, it's, it's about more than that. Because the whole reason Susan Sarandon's character is sleeping with people is because she she's missing something in her life and she doesn't know what it is. She presents herself as this really intellectual, spiritual kind of like, look at me, I am the holy person. Like I know I have studied every Eastern religion you can think of. I have internalized all of it. I know it all, and I am very smart and intellectual. I know poetry. I know all this stuff. And you, sir, you're just a dumb baseball player, but let me show you the way. And she presents herself that way, but in reality, that she's just looking for something. The reason that she's been chasing after all these Eastern religions, all, all this philosophy, all this poetry, is because she's looking for something, and she can't find it. And eventually she kind of does find it. And and that's what's beautiful about her character. It's it, she's not just this vehicle of of like oh it's this funny gimmick of like hey if you sleep with Susan Sarandon, you know you you'll do well in baseball. Ha ha! Like it's not this funny gimmick. It's about a person who just is lost and is looking for meaning and belonging and and has such trouble finding it. And that's what a lot of these characters are about. Tim Robbins's character is similar. He's looking for belonging and love. And he has, you know, trouble pitching when his dad's in the crowd. He's, you know, he, he has the, he projects this facade of like this cocky, you know, I can do this. I'm a a total stud baseball player. But when in reality, he's, he's not, he's kind of this scared little boy at times. And that's why he needs his father figure in Kevin Costner's character. Kevin Costner's character, again, projects this facade of this old veteran who, you know what, I've been around the block. Let me tell you how it goes, Rook. Like, here's how it is. When in reality, his character is so bitter and sad and resentful, and he tries to bury that, but sometimes that comes out. And the the beauty, the sign of a well-written movie is when a character doesn't just say, this is who I am and this is how I feel, and it stays that way. It, it comes up subtly. And just about every single character in this movie, their development, their character traits, they're subtle. The, everything, you, they, they look like they're certain people on, surf, on the surface because they, pu- they put out this facade of who they are. And as the movie goes on, you kind of dig deeper in, into this facade and kind of see who they really are. Even one of the things I love is the, the character of Annie, who is not a major yep. character at all. She's a very small character. And she she has this scene when she's about to get married to the you know super Christian player who, I don't remember the actor's name, but I just remember he plays um, 
Tim Allen's brother in Home Improvement. Um, but she she's so insecure, and she has this this moment in the film where she she asks like um and not sorry Annie Millie is who I'm thinking of Annie Millie, is his yeah. character Millie yep. is the one getting married and I'm she sorry. gets married to Jimmy Did William yeah, O'Leary yeah. so yes yes thank you Millie has this brief little moment where she's getting in her wedding gown and she out loud wonders if she deserves to get married because of the way she's lived her life like what a beautiful and profound moment and, and a moment of vulnerability for a character who has very little screen time. I mean, she is not a major character at all. And they, they even went through the effort to develop her as a character. They did not have to do that. Most movies, you know, you're lucky if the main character and the secondary character get developed. And this movie takes care of every, just about every single one of his characters. It, you look at virtually every character in this film who is who gets a decent amount of screen time. Look at who they are at the start of the movie. Look at who they are at the end of the movie. They are not the same people. And that that's a sign of really good writing. Like that is, that's how you write a character-driven movie. And to do that with five, six different characters in one film, it's amazing. I mean, that's really impressive. Like I said, some movies don't develop their main character. I, I recently saw uh, a couple weeks ago or about a week ago, I saw The Invisible Man, that uh, horror film that's been out with oh, Elizabeth yeah. Moss. Mm-hmm. Good movie. Good, solid horror movie. A cool, interesting reinvention of H.G. Wells' The Invisible Man into like this stalker, psychological thriller, horror film. Really cool. But guess what? Elizabeth Moss, Elizabeth Moss's character is in virtually every scene, and we just we don't know anything about her for, for like the entire movie. And that happens in movies because a lot of times movies are about plot and not about characters. Yeah. And there are good movies that are about plot and not characters, but the best movies are about characters. And I think the best screenwriters know that. And I think Bull Durham knows that. And that's why I love Bull Durham. It is a character-driven movie that takes its time and is deliberately careful with the way it handles its characters and specifically develops them at a very deliberate pace. It just doesn't like, just doesn't happen overnight. You see the development and it's just, it's so satisfying. So well done, really well acted. I mean, Kevin Costner obviously is incredible in every baseball movie he ever does. (laughs) And Susan Sarandon's great. It just, everybody in the film is really, really good. So it's, it's a beautiful movie. I love it so much. Um, and, and specifically because it's, it's so, it takes its time to write a good story with good characters. And that is so important. Yeah, I, I totally agree. There's so many parts of the movie that I love. Uh, you mentioned Susan Sarandon's looking for someone. Well, you got Crash Davis who, you know, the scene where he thinks he's going to get with her, but Nuke Lelouch is there. So, of course, Cosner's character gives the long talk about, you know, long, wet kisses oh, yeah. and walks on the beach. And she mm-hmm. is like swooning. Love going, that. Oh, oh, my God. It's a man. I got, I got a boy over here. Yes. Here's a man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love that. That monologue is brilliant. Amazing. I love that monologue. 
Yeah, it's so well done. It's just like, yep, he just he he, he plays he's playing chess while Lelouch is playing checkers. And he's just something like, yeah, okay, kid. Have <laughs> yeah, your fun. exactly. Uh, you exactly. have your fun, whatever. But it's like he's on his mission, you know. Obviously, spoiler alert: nineteen eighty-eight. You've had time. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you've he, had some you time know, to watch this movie. Just a like bit. he he finally gets let go because Lelouch is, gets his call up. He was there basically to mentor the kid. And he takes on another team's role so he can break the minor league home run record. And literally, when he's done, he just goes back and he finds his love. Like, he finds what he was missing. Him and Susan Sarandon's characters are both looking for that, like, emotional connection that they both have. And they get to, to enjoy that. So that was cool. Um, I, I love just the names in general. Crash Davis, Nukalouche. Like, that's beautiful. Um, I love how one thing you talk about major league, uh, things that I say a lot. I thought about another one. A line in Major League I absolutely love is when one of the guys hits a home run against the Indians, and he goes, that's too high. That's too high. So what do you mean that's too high? It's effing gone. And that guy, that's just an amazing <laughs> line. Like, like, it's too high. <laughs> what do you mean it's too high? But um, when Cosner's character has so many good lines, it's like when he calls him meat, I love it, especially as a Giants yeah. fan, because um, Mike Kruko, uh, whenever guys strike out uh, against the Giants, he always tells them to grab some pine meat. I absolutely it, it's awesome <laughs> so oh, that's always a fun one on the broadcast um when he walks out to the mound after the guy hits a home run off of lelouch and he goes man he hit it like he knew it was coming he's like yeah he did i told him <laughs> just like just the, the, the way he's trying <laughs> the way he's trying to make new yeah, lelouch yeah. like grow up it was so good it's uh the simple things of, of teaching him how to not be cocky the 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 ins and outs even off the field you know when they get their fights in the in the bus and then he the coach throws him a ball. He's all, yeah, teach me how to throw a curveball. Um, there's just so many things. Um, you know, are those your shower shoes? You can't have shower shoes like that because no one will take you seriously. Uh, just just all the little things that you don't think of. Because I love going to minor league games. I almost prefer it more than a big league game a lot. So it's, yeah, it's, I can uh, understand it, that. It, it, it's, it's a great story because you see how all, all the stuff we've, we've heard recently of how minor leaguers aren't getting paid. And, like, I see a lot of single-A games. And this reminds me of single-A baseball, really hopping on buses and driving around. And just the grind of you know, hey, here's a here's a, a basically a, a burger and fries because that's all you're going to get paid for your deal your yep. your dinner tonight. Yep. Things like that you're sharing. And there's two or three of you guys in the hotel room. Think, things along those lines, and they're just worn down from the travel. And it's like, man, can we get a rain out? And they go and you know turn all the sprinklers on. Just so many little things that that make it yep. work. Um, one of my other favorite lines is um, when he when he goes and you know they throw the bat in the showers and he's yelling at him, and then he goes. All right, if we win a game tomorrow, that'd be two in a row. If we win one the next day, that's three. What do you call that? A winning streak. And I think that's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's, so, it's so funny because it's so simple to try to think of it in the simple terms. Um, it's just, there's so much about this movie. As you can tell, I keep rambling on because I just keep thinking of yeah. more. Like, like the simple things. How many times when we were growing up watching baseball, you always wondered, yeah, I wonder what they always talk about when the, the coach goes to the mound. And then oh they go to the mound and they're talking about, you know, candlesticks and what to get the guy for their wedding. Yes, like it was absolutely. So, that is one of my favorite scenes because I amazing. guarantee, guarantee there have been stupid conversations on the mound. Yeah. 100% There's, that has happened. Guaranteed. Exactly. There's that. There's even one of the times I think uh, when Crash gets ejected, he's literally just like having a conversation with the umpire, like telling him to toss me, toss me now. It's like, yeah. It's, yeah. Just, it's just so funny because we see all the intricacies that we want to see with baseball. But it also, like you said, it shows the character development that you have the young uh, million-dollar arm and a two-cent brain, as Crash Davis tells him. And he, he yeah. teaches him yeah. how to play and respect the game and get him ready for the bigs. Um, and, he, and in the end, Nuke Lelouch, he respects Crash and appreciates everything he did. 
um, Crash and, and Susan Saran and Annie, they become, you know, love interest. They get their end game. All the things. Robert Wool as as the assistant coach is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Like he's so good. So yeah, I can keep going on and on, but I love Bull Durham. So everything about it is great. It's funny. One of the things you mentioned, the simplicity of the movie. And I think that is something I love about this. You movie. don't have it, to be a baseball fan to like this movie. Yeah, no, absolutely not at all. And that's the thing is a character driven drama that happens to be about baseball. But the other thing is that this isn't a movie that talks about baseball in the context of being played for thousands and thousands and thousands of fans. Yep. Yep. This is, this is the stakes aren't that high. And that's something that I think is so important. in A lot of movies is keeping the stakes. And this is, it's really hard to write this correctly. Keeping the stakes high, but not so high that it's, you know, the World Series. That it's, you know... Because how the many of these movies have thing. we talked about where it's like a playoff pushes the final game or something? Exactly. This had nothing to do with exactly. it. This was literally, literally one guy goes to the bigs and gets shelled. Another guy goes in, it's like a 500 and something at career, my league home run, and then just retires and goes falls in love. There is no playoff exactly. game ever. They were a losing no. team. <laughs> no, yeah, this is not. This is not. The stakes are not super high. This isn't. You know, one of my issues. I love the Marvel superhero movies a lot. Yes. But one of my issues with the Marvel movies is that every single episode, there's some giant sky beam that's going to destroy mm-hmm. the world. Yep. The stakes are always so high. There's they're absurdly high, and when you are able to balance the stakes of your film, you can really create a good film. I think the movie 1917 does this exceptionally well because it is simul- the stakes are simultaneously very high and not all that high in 1917 because the film is about some random battle in the middle of World War 1. This isn't the battle in World War 1. This isn't, you know, a World War 2 movie where it's, you know, the the beaches in Normandy or something like that. It's not that. It's some random battle that happens somewhere. The the plot of 1917 was essentially a story relayed to the director, Sam Mendes, by his grandfather. He's like, yeah, this is some battle I was in. And that, I think, is part of what makes 1917 so good. Obviously, the cinematography is a whole other thing that books will be written about in the future. But the this, the writing one one of the things that makes the writing so good is that the stakes are high and low at the same time the stakes are high because obviously people are going to die and this is a war but the stakes are low because this is just some battle in world war 1 that ultimately probably doesn't matter all that much and that's why it's it's you get this small little microcosm of people and it is so important to have that in a movie where the stakes are high but not that high you feel like the stakes are pretty high for Crash and for Nuke in Bull Durham. Like, Crash wants to have a career, and he, he has all this bitterness because he hasn't had a major league career. Nuke, obviously, is this generational talent who also wants to have a career. The stakes are high for them, but when you zoom out, the stakes aren't all that high, honestly. It's just some guy, in the, you know, another guy who goes to the majors and a, another guy in the minors. And Like, one I guy think- literally gave up midseason because he got married and left. Yeah, exactly. It shows you that there's there's where baseball stands. Exactly, exactly. This is not about a World Series game to win it all. This is not about a playoff game or something like that. As much as I love Moneyball, as much as I love Major League, you yeah. know, the, even those movies obviously they do that. They all have that ending. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's kind of the the classic way you end a sports movie. Mm-hmm. So the the fact that this doesn't do that that this just focuses on the people the the, the it kind of remi- it reminds you that the people who play in minor league baseball or who play in the major league system in general minor league or majors say i don't know 75% of them will never be remembered yeah. ever 90 90% of them shoot i mean they will never be remembered outside of you know maybe some of the locals like some the of the Andy local fans of the team, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the local fans, and especially minor leaguers, guys who never make it to the majors, mm-hmm. they're they're guys who spend their whole lives, who spend you know their whole youth, not their entire lives, but I mean they they play till they're in in their thirties, their mid thirties, and they never make it out of the minors, and they kind of retire, and they're like, okay, they're just they're people who, for the most part, will never be remembered. And this movie kind of reminds you of that. It reminds you that. Sometimes people are big fish in small ponds. Crash Davis is a big fish in a very small pond. He's this big deal on the team. Mm-hmm. But, you know, is he going to be remembered by Major League Baseball? No, of course not. He never even really made it to the majors all that much. He did for a little bit. Cu- he had a cup of coffee. Yeah, he had a cup of coffee. And and yeah. it kind of makes you think, for me at least, it makes me think about some of these minor leaguers that we see who kind of come into the majors and never come again, or these, these, these you know, what we call the quadruple A players who kind of, succeed at triple a but never succeed in the majors it's easy to think of them the way i think mlb teams think of them as as you know tools that you use on your baseball team and then once they become successful major leaguers then all of a sudden we care about them as people you know fellow orioles fans we all love adam jones as a person Mm -hmm. but had he never made it out of the minors who knows he would have been the same exact person whether in the minors or majors or whether he's selling cars or doing taxes, he's the same human being. But we kind of don't know them and we don't really care about them until they achieve for us. So the movie kind of touches on that a little bit too. I also think it's one of the few baseball movies I can think of where the female lead is equally as important as the male lead. Definitely. That's why. That's why I said in the in the end they both get their completion. Like they're both. Yeah, they get I what mean, they even, needed. Even a league of their own. Would you say Gina Davis's character is equally as important as Tom Hanks's character? It's close, but I, I maybe, wouldn't. Dis- maybe I, it's real close. It's real close. But I would think maybe. you know Jimmy Dugan. People still remember him. I think more than Gina Davis. Sure, but I think for Bull Durham, I think the character of Annie is equally as important in the film as mm-hmm. Crash, if not more so. And mm-hmm. she's also a character that, you know, was kind of ahead of her time. She's a woman who has built her entire life on her own terms. Yep. She is who she wants to be. She is strong, not, independent woman, strong, independent woman who is not beholden to uh, a man. She's not developed her personality because of who she's with. So, you know, it's that's that's a really cool part of it too. So there's there's a lot, there's really a lot to love about this movie. And it's it's why it's not only my favorite baseball movie, it's one of my top one hundred favorite movies of all time ever. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. One other thing when you were talking about, like I said, I can just basically go through every scene in my head because I just love something of almost about all of them. But um when we talk about the cup of coffee, just that scene on the bus, because we're talking about like most of these guys will never make it past this level of minor league baseball. 
And but you played their whole life, you know, from little right. league to high school, the whole way, dreaming to play major league baseball. So when all of a sudden, like when when Nuke's like, "How do you know? You've never made it to the bigs." And he goes, "That's not right. I've had a cup of coffee." And then they all just like swarm to him, and it's like oh, story yeah. time. Oh yeah, like, they're crash. all like, "Ooh, this and, guy and he, made it." He, he's majors. talking, and they're like, well, "What's it like? What's it like?" And he's like, "You know, you never care. Everyone carries your bags. The spread's great." Balls are always brand new and white, and the women have legs for days. And everyone's just like, like, oh, my goodness, this is so great. And, <laughs> and it's just it, – it's so cool to see that because, like I said, I go to a lot of San Jose Giants games, single A, and I've watched a lot of those games. And I and there's – I can name about six guys that have made it to the bigs on the Giants team over the last, you know, five, six, seven years at least. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that have not. Let's put it that way. So, oh, um, yeah, there's a lot of them don't even make it out of single A. Like, they're done after, like, a year or two there. Speaking so, speaking of wild. your Giants and the minor leagues, I distinctly remember seeing Mike Yastrzemski play for the AA, Orioles AA affiliate, the Bowie Bay Sox, multiple times. And I was always like, oh, cool, Mike Yastrzemski, this is neat. And then now he's doing well <laughs> for your Giants. 20-plus <laughs> yeah, home runs for the Giants out of nowhere. Yeah, beautiful thing. I know. Well, he was he was good in the minors and then just kind of out of nowhere. He's like, oh, look, I hit for a high average and power. You're like, oh, okay, thanks for not doing that for the Orioles. That's <laughs> yeah, okay. You got Mount Castle and others. You're good. Austin Hayes. Yeah. You got, yeah, you got, you got fun good. toys we'll coming. I also remember seeing Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins in uh, in Double A. Those are it's always fun. That's one of the things I love about minor leagues is seeing these guys yep. who eventually become stars later. Like, oh, cool! I remember seeing that guy play. Yep, it's cheap. It's fan friendly. Yep. Right on top of the action. Oh yeah, like, I, I love everything about it. Like God, so I, I've said, yeah, minor league games, spring training games. I will take those over a real game pretty much any day of the week. Like minor league games well. are a lot of fun. My my um my dad they're actually got to throw too. out. Uh, oh yeah, they're great for kids. My dad actually got to throw out a first pitch at a uh, Bowie Bay Sox game once. Nice for his for his fortieth birthday, and it was kind of funny. So, so my dad's name, obviously, my name is Ben Palmer. My dad's name is Jim Palmer. He oh, is nice. not the yeah, pitcher. I know <laughs> he's not that Jim Palmer. He's not that Jim Palmer. How many times has he gotten that? All the time. And so this is what happened. So, yeah, he's a lifelong Orioles fan, and his name is Jim Palmer. And he was born in 1960, so it wasn't like he was named after Jim Palmer. It just kind (laughs) of happened. And what was really funny is for his 40th birthday, my mom decided we were going to have a huge party. We were going to rent a essentially like a box at the Bowie Bay Sox, Um, and he was going to throw out the first pitch. So she calls the Bowie Bay Sox and says, like, hey, you're going to have this birthday party, blah, blah, blah. And, hey, could you also have the screen out in the outfield say happy birthday? And they say, sure, sure. What's your husband's name? She says, Jim Palmer. <laughs> and the people at the Bay Sox are like, um, uh, the, Jim, Jim, that the Jim Palmer is going to the Jim Palmer is going to be here. And my mom's like, well, I mean. He's the Jim Palmer to me. <laughs> and Did your mom know like, who the other one was? Yeah. Oh yeah. She. Yeah, okay. She's, good. You know, diehard. She knows the whole thing. But yeah, they were just like, oh, that Jim Palmer is coming. That's great. And like, no, not that Jim Palmer. And then he goes out to do the first pitch, and he got to take uh, take me and my brother out on the field to do it too, which is fun. we didn't get to throw it. That is a lot of fun. So pretty cool stuff there. All right, well, Ben, after three episodes now, that wraps up our top 15. Obviously, a lot of similarities towards the top, and then a bunch of cool different ones in the middle, like that many people might not know about or or yep. have forgot about throughout the time. So 
Real quickly, what are your final thoughts on uh, the top 15 baseball movies we've talked about? I will say that looking at the comments that I've gotten about the article I wrote, and and it's like like I said in the last podcast, I don't know that I've ever gotten more interaction, more comments on an article on Pitcherless <laughs> than this one, and so much of it just how could you? Um, the beauty of movies and art is that we all connect to different things for different reasons. There are movies out there that most people think are terrible that some people love. And that's awesome. That's what I love about it. Like I, I'm, you know, when when it comes to the hall, baseball hall of fame, you've got the big hall people and the small hall people. The people who, are, you know, people are like, "Hey, let everyone in," or the people are like, "No, no, no, only a select few." When it comes to like art and enjoying art, I'm a big hall guy. I want I want to like everything I see, and I want people to like everything. I'm I will never be snobby about my views on movies and music and art in general it may sound like i am sometimes mostly because i just don't pay attention when i talk sometimes but (laughs) but i i love that so many people connect with so many movies i i love your list that that your list feels distinctly like your list Mm mm-hmm it is it is not somebody trying to make the objective list of best baseball movies of all time. And in fact, if somebody tried, if somebody told me like, "Oh, I'm making this list of my favorite baseball movie, or the best baseball movies of all time." I'm trying to do it objectively. I would say don't. Don't do yeah. that because that completely defeats the purpose of the movie because of the list because it's uninteresting. It's like it's like watching somebody do complex math calculations in their head. Sure, it's impressive and cool that you did it, but there's no emotion to it. And I want to see the emotion. I want to see the personal connection. If your favorite, favorite, favorite baseball movie of all time is The Scout, good for you, man. That's <laughs> awesome. I want to know why. Yep. I want to know why, and there's likely some personal connection to it. For you, you mentioned like Little Big League and things like that. That's awesome. That's so cool because that's the beauty of movies is that we love movies regardless of what people say about them. Obviously, there are movies that like every like a lot of people love for different reasons. There are movies that are technical masterpieces, things like that. But the beauty of art is that everybody has a deep personal connection to something for some reason. I, um, a long time ago, I did this thing on this music website forum that I'm on where I asked everybody what name an album, name two albums that you have a deep personal connection to not the best album of all time. Not, you know, one of the, whatever, not don't think about that at all. Think about an album that you have a deep personal connection to for whatever reason and tell me why. And that was one of the most rewarding experiences because you get these people who pick these random albums or like, I don't know, the Jake Giles band live. And here's why. And you hear this story about why this album means so much to them. And, and that's the case for any movie, for any book, for any piece of art at all, is there are people who have these deep personal connections with these things for whatever reason, because their dad loved it or because their mom loved it or because they saw it in a, in a tough time and it helped them feel better or whatever the reason might be there. There's a reason for it. And I love that. I love just 
seeing that and hearing about that. So when understand that that is the context of my top 15 list. It is not what I believe to be objectively the 15 greatest baseball movies of all time. I don't think that my word is the end all be all. It isn't, Mm -hmm. but it's my 15 favorite. And if some people love other stuff ahead of it, great. That's awesome. So that that's why I wanted to make the list because I love movies. I love baseball and I wanted to be able to talk about them all with people and explain like why I love certain movies and I love all the feedback I've gotten, even if some of it hasn't been overly constructive, <laughs> <laughs> especially on, especially on Reddit. There was yeah. you know, oh, a top comment a with place. like, Oh my God, I posted it on the baseball subreddit and like the top comment had 75 upvotes. It was like, this list is trash. Oh jeez, <laughs> like, Yeah. That sounds whatever. about right for Reddit. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. You know, whatever. Everybody loves this stuff differently. And I don't want anybody who reads this article or listens to these podcasts to think that I am some authority on film. I am far from it. And I'm far from an authority on baseball or baseball films or anything like that. It's just what I love. And like I've said for a few of these movies, uh, some of these movies I just have a personal connection to because of my upbringing, because of my childhood, because of when and where I saw these movies. And that's what's awesome about movies. That's why I love them so, so much. So that's, that's it. That's why, that's why I wanted to make this article. I'm so glad I was able to make it. I'm so glad I was able to talk with you about it for, I don't know, a total of what, three, four hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we put about four hours or so on here. Yeah. It was fun. Four hours to talk about 15 movies. So yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to do it because, like you said, my my list is a little different. I like how your list, you have uh, some documentaries that it opens my eyes to other options because there's so much cool stuff out there in movies and in music and everything else. And like you said, is there's really no one list that's the end-all, be-all. So no, do, it, do you. Do you. It's yeah. that simple. Um, and, and the biggest thing is the reason I like having this podcast is we were able to talk about them, talk about the stories of why we yep. like them, the things we liked about them. And then just the other little like, you know, rabbit holes we went down talking about things. It ended up it was it was fun. It was a great way to just talk baseball and things we love talking about. So um I, I had a blast doing them. I hope people enjoyed yeah, them. Absolutely. I, I will say before we before we wrap up, I have one last movie rabbit hole I want to go down with you. And, and it'll be it. a brief one because I I have a question for you. Because like I said earlier, I watched the Lion King uh remake the live live action quote unquote okay. remake of the lion king earlier today what is your what disney movie in your opinion has the best soundtrack not the Ooh. best disney movie Ooh. but the best music so like to give you an example mm. in my opinion the lion king has the best soundtrack i Absolutely love the soundtrack. The Lion King is basically an Elton John album from start yeah. to finish with, with some great lyrics. I do not think the Lion King is my favorite movie. It is not. Uh, I don't think it's the best Disney movie. Aladdin is my favorite Disney movie of all time. One. It's a good one. The soundtrack of Aladdin is great too, but mm-hmm. I think just pure soundtrack music wise, the Lion King is my favorite. So for you, what is your favorite Disney movie soundtrack? I just pulled up the list of Disney movies because the first one that popped into my head, the first ones that popped into my head was either The Lion King or Aladdin. To be honest, those are the two that kind of both are fantastic. I I wouldn't begrudge you saying either. 
that's the first two that came to mind. I'm, I'm just skimming through this list real quick, and really nothing else is coming to I mind. I will say so, while while you're skimming, Little Mermaid underrated. Underrated, like soundtrack just, wise. I mean, nothing's Little Mermaid's nothing's ringing movie. a bell for me there. Interesting. For Little Mermaid, oh my god! I mean, under the well, sea, under the sea, knows. under the sea. Yeah, now it's all like, coming to me now. Kiss the girl. Yeah. Just yep. the girl. I can incredible. picture it all now. You got little poor Sebastian. unfortunate, poor unfortunate yeah. souls. Like there's, I yeah. so because I recently got Disney Plus, I've been going through um, old Disney movies with my kids because I, I kind of figured out within the past year or two, pre Disney Plus at least, that like a lot of these classic Disney movies, they're not available anywhere. You have to buy them. Like that's the only way you're going to be able to have your kids see. The Little Mermaid or The Lion King and stuff, they weren't streaming anywhere. And even if they, or in some cases, they were in the Disney vault or whatever. So it was hard to see them. So once we got Disney Plus, it was like, cool, we're watching every like great Disney movie ever. So we've been going through them and we watched The Little Mermaid uh, about a week or two ago. And I was like, look, watching this going, wow, I forgot how good the soundtrack is. Like, it's got some good songs on it. It does have some beats. I think I'm I'm gonna have to go with you though. The Lion King, it is like an Elton John. So it good, is, it's amazing because like Aladdin was great. I, and I'll say this much: I saw the live action Aladdin, and I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. It was, I it was, haven't. It was so good. I haven't seen it yet. I have. I I was. I almost saw it tonight. We were looking through movies, and I was like, "Hey, let's watch a live action Aladdin." And my I was very skeptical. Was like, no. So we ended up watching Lion King instead. What What but, about the Beauty and the Beast music? Beauty and the Beast has some really good yes, music. It's sneaky. It has some really really good music, and I love, especially in the the live action remake, solid. But the um, in the original cartoon, uh, you know who plays Lumiere, right? Mm, not off the top of my head, no. Oh, the dude from Law and Order, Jerry Orbach. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it's so funny to see him as Lumiere for whatever reason. I think that's just kind of funny. But um, yeah, no, Beauty and the Beast has a pretty solid soundtrack. There's definitely some think, good, yeah. good songs in there. Yeah, I think I'm going to go yeah, Lion I've, King, though. Yeah. I think I got to go Lion, Lion King. Lion King, it's so good because it's so funny. When I first saw The Lion King, I just, you know, well, when I first saw it, I was probably like seven. But when I when I started seeing it, I was like, oh, yeah, the, you know, I, I knew The Lion King soundtrack as just The Lion King soundtrack. And then once I started diving into music and stuff, uh, and once I especially started diving into Elton John, I re-listened to the Lion King soundtrack and was like, oh, these are all just Elton John songs. Like, these are all just Elton. This is just an Elton John album with lyrics written by someone that's not Bernie Taupin. It's, you know, it's Tim Rice <laughs> instead. And I was like, no wonder this is so good. Can you feel the love tonight and the yes. circle of life? Circle of Incredible Life. Incredible like, songs. It like shakes the walls in your house when you listen. Oh my to god, it. it's, it's so good. Even even Elton John's version that he he also released is fantastic. The movie version is so good. It just it's I don't know. It's so well written. Elton John is one of those people who has such a gift for melody. So good that uh, so good. that is so rarely found in human beings. He just has this incredible gift for melody that him and like people like. Harry Nielsen, I just the the people who just have this gift for writing fun, it, it's great, and that's yeah, that's why I love Lion King. It's just from top to bottom, it's just a great soundtrack. Yeah, I'm with you there. That's a fun one. That's a good good 
Good way to wrap it up, a little, a little Disney action there, because it, <laughs> yeah, made me think, it made me think for a second. It was uh, it was close, though. Aladdin, Little Mermaid, those they got some jams. They, they, they definitely oh, absolutely. got some jams. They all but... do. It's, it's, yeah, they're all, they've all got great songs. And, and Tarzan. Tarzan is another one with a fantastic soundtrack. Interesting. The Phil Collins that's... soundtrack. Oh, yes, yeah. Phil Collins, definitely. definitely that's absolutely. Correct. So that's a good one, too. Well, that's definitely something we can uh, talk about another time because I got <laughs> I, I, I got some more I got I got more ideas. You know, if we're not going to be without baseball for a while. We may not do it every week, but I got some ideas. You know, you, you mentioned yeah, we got like nothing Danny but time. Mc, you mentioned <laughs> how you like Danny McBride. Like we could do a Danny McBride top five movies. Like we could have all kinds of fun. Like we 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 could yeah. really uh, mix and match some things. We still have to do Major League Three one of these weeks. That is going oh to happen. God, yeah, yeah, we definitely have to do that. <laughs> I think, like I said, you'll like it more than number two. I will hold I probably to that will. One. Honestly, I probably will. Yeah, you're probably right. But uh, until then, Ben, it's been a pleasure, everybody. Check out Ben on Twitter, at Ben J. Palmer, and all his work over at Pitcher List. He had an article come out recently about some, uh, I believe, uh, predictions or sleepers? Sleepers. Sleepers. Yeah, around yeah sleepers. I just kind of did a, yep. your basic. So I had a uh, sleepers article of deep sleepers that came out a few weeks ago, pre-MLB delaying the season. Uh, that was uh, dart throws, basically guys who are going in an ADP after 250. So like the guys who are basically going undrafted or at the tail end of drafts. The most recent article was about sleepers who are going before 250. So guys who are definitely getting drafted in the 10th through 15th, 16th, 17th round um, who are going to be gone, but who I think you should target. So yeah, that one came out of a few. Yeah, I remember checking and, that out. So that, yeah. that was good. Stuff. And I will be writing, actually, I'm going to be writing an article. We're going to be, so one of the things PitcherList is doing because we have no baseball is we're going to be talking about just different aspects of baseball that we love. Um, I will be, we're going to be writing about why I love blank, why I love this team, why I love this player. I'm going to be writing my ode to Rafael Palmero at some point. Oh my goodness. After what you told so us much. last episode, I cannot wait for that. All right. Well, that'll wrap us up for Bench with Bubba, episode 268 again. Everybody check out Ben on Twitter. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. (laughs) I was like, yeah, everybody check out Ben on Twitter at Ben J. Palmer and over at pitcherlist.com. I'm on Twitter at BDNTrick. And until next time, thanks for listening. Bye.